And so by doing this, extending mercy to Shimei, he was strengthening the ties with Benjamin and the others. And again, David being a smart diplomat. But why would he do that? How could you know that the guy was really genuine? Of course he's going to come and beg for his life. Of course he's going to say he's sorry. Every creature's unique in the song that it sings. All exclaiming, indescribable, uncontainable. You place the stars in the sky and you know them by name. You are amazing, God. All powerful, untamable, all struck with. Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg. As David returned to Jerusalem to regain the throne, he was met by Shimei. Shimei showed a remarkable, humble, contrite confession. He sinned greatly against David, and here he repented greatly before him. David spared the life of Shimei, showing forgiveness to the man who formerly bitterly cursed him when he was troubled. David could readily forgive a man who deserved to die because he was secure, knowing that God gave him the throne. Insecurity is a great motivator for revenge and holding on to bitterness. Now here's Pastor Rob. Eating crow or swallowing your own words. So Shimei, the son of Gera, a Benjamite who was from Baharim, he hurried down and he came down with the men of Judah to meet David. And um, you can look at 2 Samuel chapter 16, verses 5 through 8, and that tells you what, what Shimei had, had done previously so you can get an idea of what a how uh, unusual this is. And it's really not unusual because he hated David. He he would kill him if he could. But now that David's back in power again, hey, David, how you doing, brother? Yeah, I love you, man. Hey, did you get a haircut? Looking great there, man. You trimmed the beard, uh, kind of like a, you know, a J. It looks like Judah. I mean, that looks really nice. You know, and that's where Shimei was. Now, whether he was genuine or not, we really don't know. But it looks awfully suspicious. <laughs> Such as the things that happen. So Shimei comes to meet David. And then there, there were a thousand men of Benjamin with him. And Ziba, the servant of the house of Saul, and his 15 sons and his 20 servants at, with him. And they went over the Jordan before the king. And then a ferry boat went across to carry over the king's household and to do what he thought good. And... Um, you know, because the Jordan is big enough, especially at certain times of the year where you need a ferry boat to, to go across. You know, have a pole on each side. I don't know exactly how they did it, depending on the rains and everything. But they had to be ferried across to the other, you know, to the um, western side of the Jordan River there. So it says now that Shimei, the son of Gera, fell down before the king when he had crossed the Jordan. And then he said to the king, Do not let my lord impute iniquity to me, or remember what wrong your servant did on the day that my lord the king left Jerusalem. Remember that, David? Uh, didn't really mean it, man. 
I said that the words were coming out, but in my heart, I was, I was conflicted. I was, you know, I ate something the night before, and I was just feeling kind of agita, and I, I don't know, I just I wasn't myself. And, you know, he's given him this story. <laughs> I know that I, and he says, you know, what wrong I did to you on the day that my king, the, the Lord, left Jerusalem, that the king should take it to heart. Don't take it to heart, David. Verse 20, for I, your servant, know that I have sinned. Therefore, here I am, the first to come to you. The first, I'm the first to come to you today. And all of the house of Joseph to go down and meet my lord the king. But Abishai, remember, who was Joab's brother, is this guy going to, what do you think he's going to do? He was the one who wanted to take off his head before. When, David, when Shimei was cursing David and throwing rocks, Abishai looked at David and says, can I go up there and just remove his head from his shoulders? And David says, what have I got to do with you, sons of Zeruiah? So now Shimei is trying to butter David up, make amends. You know, I didn't really mean it, you know, that kind of thing. But Abishai, again, he answers and says, shall not Shimei be put to death for this because he cursed the Lord's anointed? And David said, what have I to do with you? you sons of Zeruiah, that you should be adversaries to me today. Shall any man be put to death today in Israel? For do I not know that today I am king over Israel? And there it is. David is, is, is getting his bearings back a little bit. He's starting to perhaps remember the things that I shared with you earlier. And these are, again, our anchors to his soul. So verse 23, Therefore the king said to Shimei, You shall not die. And the king swore to him. He swore to him. And so by doing this, extending mercy to Shimei, he was strengthening the ties with Benjamin and the others. And again, David being a smart diplomat. But why would he do that? How could he know that the guy was really genuine? Of course he's going to come and beg for his life. Of course he's going to say he's sorry. That's what people do when they've been caught in this kind of thing. But David makes an oath and says, no, you're not going to die. And he doesn't. He, David himself doesn't kill him. And it's interesting that later on, when Solomon would be king, and David's last days before Solomon would be king, David sat down with Solomon and said, Son, there's some things I need to tell you. <laughs> and you can read about it in 1 Kings chapter 2, verse 8 and 9. 1 Kings chapter 2, verse 8 and 9. But David basically tells him, You remember Shimei? I made an oath that I couldn't kill him, but you know what? Take care of him. In other words, when the time is right, kill him. Thus David would have fulfilled his oath, but his son would actually kill him, and we'll find out later that he actually did do that. But David forgives, apparently, Shimei, but he doesn't forget, does he? It would have been one thing if David would have forgiven Shimei for what he did and then never spoke of it again. And Shimei will find out in uh, in First uh, Kings, chapter one, verse five through eight. We're going to see him actually coming to the aid of the king. And when his David's next son Adonijah, when he rears his head and wants to take over his dad's throne, Shimei is one of those who doesn't stand with Adonijah. So there's some semblance of, hey, you know what? I think I believe this guy. David should have believed him, but he forgave him. But he didn't forget, because he tells Solomon later, you know what, when, after I'm gone, make sure you take care of him. And he does, unfortunately. So look at verse 24. Now Mephibosheth, the son of Saul. Remember, Mephibosheth was the son of, of Jonathan. Remember, David and Jonathan were close friends. And Jonathan and David made a pact with one another, an oath with one another, on a couple of occasions. 
that David, when he comes into his kingship, that he, that he would deal kindly with his family. And David did. He brought Mephibosheth into his very own uh, into his house, and he took care of him, had Ziba and his servants take care of him. He really took care of him, and he honored that oath that he and Jonathan had made. And so notice, Mephibosheth, the son of Saul, came down to meet the king, and he had not cared for his feet, nor trimmed his mustache, nor washed his clothes from the day that the king departed until the day that he returned in peace. And so it was, when he had come to Jerusalem to meet the king, that the king said to him, Why did you not go with me, Mephibosheth? Because you remember, when David was leaving Jerusalem... Who was it that came out and gave food and stuff to David and his men? Remember, uh, it was Ziba, the guy who was actually taking care of John or taking care of Mephibosheth. He comes out on a on and brings several donkeys, and he has stuff laden, you know, raisins and figs and all kinds of stuff for the journey that David and his people are about to make. But Jonathan didn't come out, or I'm sorry, Mephibosheth didn't come out with him at that time. But remember, he was lame; he needed somebody to help him. He can't just get on a horse by himself. He would need help. And so, so David has a very good question. Mephibosheth, when I left, why didn't you come with me? And he answered, he says, My lord, O king, my servant deceived me. For your servant said, I will saddle a donkey for myself that I may ride on it and go to the king because your servant is lame. And he has slandered your servant to my lord the king. But my lord the king is alive, or is like the angel of God. Therefore do what is good in your eyes. So now... Mephibosheth is just telling him the story, and there's no reason to not believe him. And if you read back and you see what David did, you know, basically giving all the land of, of, of um, Mephibosheth's, he gave it all to Ziba. You know, in haste and anger and, and believing maybe what Ziba was telling him. So there's a lot of intrigue here, and it's, it's not unlike real life, is it? <laughs> if you have a family... You know this intrigue very well. You see it at your dinner table every night. <laughs> Many people do in their lives. So, in fact, if you look at um, 2 Samuel 16, verses 3 and 4, that's when David gives everything to Ziba because he believes what Ziba's telling him concerning Mephibosheth. So now Mephibosheth is coming to the king now after he has crossed over on his way back to Jerusalem. So verse 28, he says, For all my father's house were but dead men before the, my lord the king, yet you saved your servant among those who eat at your table. Therefore, what right do I have to still cry out any more to the king? And King David said, Why do you speak any more of your matters? I have said, You and Ziba divide the land. And this is just really uncharacteristic of David. But I think he, who knows what he was feeling, what he was thinking. He didn't know really who to believe. He wasn't able to corroborate the story with Ziba. Ziba, was this really true? Notice he didn't hold any of these guys accountable. Again, just another, another hallmark of where David was. He, just, he was just resigned and, and kind of checked out. He didn't, I mean, he, he could have cleared the whole thing up and gone to Ziba and say, Ziba, I'm here with Mephibosheth. Tell me what happened. This is what he said. Is, is this true? And if it wasn't, then there needs to, the law needs to be en enacted, right? There needs to be some restitution, or there needs to be some uh, consequence for that. But David doesn't. He just moves on. Then Mephibosheth said to the king, rather, um, you, know, you know, David says, you and Ziba, you divide the land, you know, because originally he had given everything to Ziba. Now that Mephibosheth is giving him the story, he's like, okay, 
I don't know who to believe, so guess what? <laughs> you guys divide it. He gets half, and you get half of the land. And so that's the way it, it ended. And, and it could have gone better if David just uh, corroborated these stories. So Mephibosheth, notice what he says. He says to the king, rather, let him take it all. And I don't think he said this in a nasty way. I think he was just, he was very thankful and very happy. And he says, you know what, let him take it all. Inasmuch as the Lord, my king, has come back into peace in his own house. And Mephibosheth was just happy to see David come back. He's like, I could care less about those things. You know, there's a man who doesn't have material possessions possessing him. He's just one of those guys like, you know what, David? I, I, I didn't even deserve to have what I had. I'm telling you the truth. And I believe he was telling the truth. And then finally, David's kindness to Barzillai. And Barzillai the Gileadite came down from Rogelim and went across the Jordan with the king to escort him across the Jordan. Now Barzillai was a very aged man, 80 years old, and he had provided the king with supplies while he stayed at Mahanaim. So it's a very generous, very elderly man, for he was a very rich man, it says. Verse 33, And the king said to Barzillai, Come across with me, and I'll provide for you while, you're, while you stay with me in Jerusalem. But Barzillai said to the king, How long have I have to live? that I should go up with my king to Jerusalem. I am today 80 years old. Can I discern between the good and the bad? Can your servant taste what I eat or what I drink? Can I hear any longer the voice of singing men and singing women? Why then should your servant be a further burden to my lord the king? Your servant will go a little way across the Jordan with the king. And why should the king repay me with such a reward? But please let your servant turn back again that I may die in my own city near the grave of my father and mother. But here is your servant, Chimham. Now, this Chimham was probably the son of Barzillai. <coughs> Excuse me. Let him cross over with the Lord my king and do for him what seems good. And the king answered, Chimham shall cross over with me, and I will do for him what seems good to you. Now, whatever you request of me, I will do for you. And then all the people went over the Jordan. And when the king had crossed over, the king kissed Barzillai and blessed him. And he returned to his own place. And again, just a, a really wonderful man, you know, just um, willing to give. And he didn't expect anything in return. Just a really fascinating uh, character this gentleman was. Excuse me. Now the king went on to Gilgal, and we'll, we'll finish this up and we'll take communion. I've uh, taken you a little longer than what I would have liked tonight. Uh, verse 40, Now the king went on to Gilgal, and Chimham, which was Barzillai's son, we believe, went on with him. And all the people of Judah escorted the king, and also half the people of Israel. And just then all the men of Israel came to the king and said to the king, Why have our brethren, the men of Judah, stolen you away and brought the king, his household, and all of David's men with him across the Jordan? And so all the men of Judah answered the men of Israel, Because the king is a close relative of ours, why then are you angry over this matter? Have we, not, have we ever eaten at the king's expense, or has he given us any gift? And the men of Israel answered the men of Judah and said, We have ten shares in the king, meaning the ten tribes of the northern ten tribes. And then there's the southern two tribes, Judah and Benjamin. So they're thinking, you know, we have, what they're basically saying is, we have more um, stake in David than you. We have ten shares because we have ten tribes. And um, 
And the reason of the of the uh, the battle between the two of these, you know, their their anger between one another is, you know, the people of Israel were the ones who who originally wanted David to come back, and his own tribe didn't. But now that the tribe of Judah did, and they didn't tell the others about it, they started to get angry. So you see this kind of tension between the northern and the southern tribes, and what it really is is just a foreshadowing of what's coming ahead. Because after David, then there'd be Solomon, and another 70 years after that, then the kingdom would split in two, and it would be forever split. And so what you're seeing right now is really the foreshadowing, the labor pains of a break that has already occurred back in the Old Testament already, even prior to where we're at now, there, there's been these you know, breaks in fellowship between the tribes. And so the men of Israel answered and Judah said, well, We have ten shares in the king, therefore we also have more right to David than you. Why then do you despise us? Were we not here first to advise bringing back our king? And yet the words of the men of Judah were fiercer than the words of the men of Israel. And uh, pretty interesting. And so we're going to see this um, uh, this tension between the northern and the southern tribes just continuing and continuing. But, but just to look at David's life here and, and just to, to see what had happened to him, and now finally he's brought back into his kingdom, and, and, and just the, certainly the struggle that he had and, and the frame of mind that he was in, not quite, not quite the, the best time for David, but um, a time nonetheless that he was restored. And, and again, he had those anchors to hold on to that we looked at earlier. So you may have anchors like that too. And when God speaks to you, I'd encourage you, if you have a journal, write those things down. Because, you know, God has spoken to me about certain things. And and some of these things have taken 17 years. I know specifically of one thing where he spoke to me in 2001 and he didn't bring it to pass until 2018. And I had no idea how to get there. And he does that. But those are anchors. When God speaks to you, write them down. If you feel like he's spoken to you about something, write it down and just be patient and wait upon him. And it may take time, right? It took, you know, for Moses it was 40 years. God says, you know, this is what I'm going to do, and it was 40 years. So don't be discouraged by that. Because God's not so much concerned about time like you are. He's more concerned about our hearts and, and the process of getting us. It's not just, he could get us from here to here, but the process is so important because it's in that process that we learn and we grow. You follow? And so be encouraged in that. And, and as we read these passages, know that that was the same for David, and God was doing the same thing. Because he's no different than you and I are. We tend to put the, the, the people in the Bible, in the history, we elevate them, but we have to realize that they're no different. They feel the same thing. They have the same insecurities. They have the same issues. They've gone through similar things. And, and we're no different. We're no different than they were. We're just people. So if we could have the worship team come on up and um, lead us in a song. And um, again, just come on up and grab the elements and bring them back to your seats, and then we will take it together after the song, okay? You know, when we, when we take communion, you know, if you think of it, it's, it's more than just, you know, when we get together, you know, we can gather together, whether as a group or as, as people together, and we can commune together. We can kind of come around this, this, the, the, the same ideas and the same 
heart and everything. But do you understand that communion with Christ is so much more than that because it's not even just so much like like we're communing tonight, but at the same time, there's an even deeper thing that God has done in us because he's indwelt us by his spirit. I mean, can you get more, can you commune closer than that? I mean, when you have the spirit of God in you, and, and that's really what these elements are for, is, you know, when you ingest something, you're basically saying that I, I believe I take down in my very being everything that this is about, everything that this stands for. And what, what do these elements stand for? And we know what it, what it is because when Jesus, that night before he was taken, he took the bread and he broke and he said, this is my body broken for you. And so that's what he did. And that's what we do. And we take the truth of that, of why he was broken. Why was he broken? Well, the Bible said that he had to be. Isaiah 53 and Psalm 22 and other... Other scriptures said that he had to be broken for us. His body was broken and beaten for us. And more than just the beatings, the Bible says that his soul became an atonement for us. It became, he, became, he became sin for us. He was the sin bearer. That's something that no one else in history has ever been able to do. Many people have been crucified, but only Christ was crucified and took the punishment of all of mankind for all time on himself at one moment of time. And so that when we take the when we take the, the bread, that's what we are saying. We are saying we believe that Lord you did that and why you had to do it. Why did you have to do it? And that you did it. We honor you when we take that and we take that truth and you put it down in the center of you by ingesting it. So let's do that. And then that same night, of course, he passed around the, the chalice, the <laughs> with the wine in it. He passed it around. He said, "This is the blood of the new covenant. This is, this is my the, the blood of my of my of the New Testament, really." And yet Jesus hadn't died yet, had he? He was already in his mind thinking, I know exactly what's ahead of me. This has been, for this reason I have come to the earth. And he says, take it and drink all of it. And he goes, do this as often as you will in remembrance of me. And we believe that what he did on the cross, the blood that was shed, the prophecies that have been spoken of, we believe that. And we believe in him and his life. And when we take this into ourselves, we are basically attesting to that truth. And can there be any more closer communion than that? There can't be, because he's in the very center of you. And so let's do that, and let's give him thanks. So um, why don't we stand together, and let's, uh, let's pray and give thanks. And you know, think of that when you go home tonight. Think about what we just did. And maybe read over in the end of Matthew or Mark or Luke and those different chapters that speak of that. And, and just remember what that means. All of it. You put it all together, it's really overwhelming when you think of what he's done and the prophecies that have been fulfilled. And his great love for us, that he's not going to leave us as orphans. He's coming back for us. And I hope he comes even before we leave the parking lot today. Wouldn't that be nice? I don't know about you, but I've, I'm pretty much done with this world. I, I, I don't, there's nothing here that's going like, there's no carrot that's holding out to me. Go, oh, well, wait, Lord, don't come back yet. I want to do this one thing. Or, no, I'm ready. I'm ready. At least I think I am. I'm probably 
anyway. That concludes our time for today, but please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of 2 Samuel. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things such as information concerning our beliefs, our ministries, contact information, our location, service times, and much more. You can also download or listen to the radio and sanctuary messages free of charge from the teachings link at the top of the page. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester's sanctuary messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Podcast or Apple Podcast. You're also invited to join us on Sunday and Thursdays through live streaming of our services and Bible studies. Just click on the online services link on the website. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way that we can bless you with your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.